Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. My name is Ted Bendel, and today I have the privilege of bringing the New Year's message based on Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. Let's begin. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. I invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. In verse 1. And uh, before we get into that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the, the precious gift that you have given to us these days. The gift of your son. Thank you, Lord, for his birth that we have celebrated. Thank you for all that he has accomplished on our behalf on the cross, the empty tomb, and now his continued intercession and ministry for on our behalf. Father, speak to us this morning. Help us to receive your word and then to act on it, that your Holy Spirit might change and transform us into better reflections of our Lord Jesus. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Less than five days from now, we'll flip the calendar to 2021. And what will that do? Will anything change? There's a cartoon circulating that shows Kermit the Frog saying that he's going to stay up late on the 31st. Not so much to see 2021 come in, to make sure that 2020 leaves most of the with the current lockdown most of the early part of 2021 is likely to remain much like 2020 unfortunately but seriously what are you doing now in preparation for the new year ahead of us I know that some of you have already made or will be making New Year's resolutions. Will you be keeping them or will those resolutions have died by this time next week? Most of us are, in theory at least, on the way to becoming better persons. Some of us have a specific goal in mind that we should, by this time next year, have become better reflections of the character of the Lord Jesus. Do we have any way of measuring our progress? How will we know if we've come any closer to that high standard? While I was looking for a passage to share with you today, I was drawn to this part of Paul's letter to Colossae. And while it's an important part of scripture, we need to note that we're dropping into the middle of Paul's argument with the heretics. Heretics who thought that good works were the means of securing salvation rather than the result of having received salvation as a free gift. If you look around, you'll find that that is a common misconception today. Paul begins his 
this third chapter of his letter. He says, if then, or since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Verse, verses one, or verse one refers back to chapter two and verses eight through fifteen in which Paul indicates that our baptism is a picture of our dying with Christ and of our rising to new life with him. Colossians 2 and 13 reads, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that is with the Lord Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal requirements. I can't go any further without asking you, is this your status with God? Do you know that all your trespasses, all your sin has been forgiven because of what Jesus did for you? Have you declared that faith in the Lord Jesus publicly? Have you been baptized on the basis of your own testimony to the mercy and the grace of Almighty God? Now, I know that for some of you, these will be hard questions. But the rest of what I offer today will make little sense without this background of trust in the faithfulness of God. Going back to the image in the illustration of baptism, Paul starts off, if then you have been raised with Christ. Now, that's an amazing and eternity changing phrase that demands our attention. It's entirely because of Jesus that we are positioned now to enjoy fellowship with God. Can you believe that? We who once we're living in spiritual darkness, wallowing in our self-centered lives with no hope of finding genuine love on our own. We were lost. But then someone, or perhaps several people, shared with us the truth, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We received that as truth. We believed it. And we have been transformed to be the person that God created us to be. Our sins are forgiven. Our bondage to our past was broken as Christ took on our transgressions and gave us life. We were once down and out, but now as believers in Christ Jesus, we are raised with him to live a life that glorifies God. Everything's changed. And we must now live up to the high standard of our Lord Jesus. So the very reasonable goal of our lives as an act of 
simple thanksgiving must now be to seek the things that are above. Now, this is no escapist withdrawal from the strains and stresses and duties of this world. That kind of religion has been referred to as the opiate of the people, a belief that this world is beyond any part of salvation, that the Christian Christian need not, perhaps even should not or cannot, get involved with the messy, dirty things of this world, like homelessness or politics or drug abuse or child slavery, or dare I say it, even messy family relationships. But the truth is that when we have set our minds on things that are above, then we begin to see this world from the perspective of the Lord Jesus. And we're compelled to take action. It's just because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God, that when Christ, who is your life, appears, that we also will appear with him in glory. Our identity is that we are dead to our sin and alive in Christ. Quite a number of years ago, I remember being in a workshop. This was maybe a year after I had come to Christ, where the question for discussion was, who are you? My immediate response at that time was, I am a member of the great company of the redeemed. But that was not the kind of response they were looking for. But the reward for being in fellowship with God and making Jesus our priority is that we will appear with him in glory. The final chapter to the story of our life, if we remain faithful, is that we will be with Jesus in his eternal glory. What could be better than that? Paul is encouraging us to make our lives all about Christ Jesus. Jesus uh, put us in the position to succeed, not to fail. He guaranteed us that if we make him our top priority, that we will appear with him in glory. So our new identity is that we are alive in Christ. And we belong, we truly belong to that great company of the redeemed. He is our redeemer. He's our Lord and our master. He's the one we serve. He's the one whose opinion matters most. Moving on to Colossians 3 and verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. The fact of the matter is that we in our old lives had nothing to commend ourselves to God. We were guilty of most, if not all, of these sins when he intervened in our lives, got our attention, drew us to himself, cleansed us by Christ Jesus and by his sacrifice on our behalf. 
This grace in which we stand today is entirely of his doing. And because we have been cleansed of such matters as sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, we can't continue to live in them. We cannot entertain such thoughts or actions. There are a whole lot of behaviors that in our society don't even look bad anymore. But Paul says we need to put them to death. This is not merely a license. It's more than that. It's an order to kill. It's permissible and required that we be violent to our old way of life. Don't put it in a corner and tell it to behave. In the words of John Owen, kill it or it will be killing you. There's a a myth out there that we just need to focus on Jesus' love and not worry about things like sin. Problem is, that's dangerous. It's a lie. Paul has already told us that we died with Christ. And that means that we need to kill anything in our lives that doesn't match our new life. We need to get rid of any behavior that does not match who we are in Christ Jesus. Notice verse 6. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. And you thought the wrath of God was something that belonged to the Old Testament? Not at all. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you have been saved from God's wrath. Romans 5.9 says, Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul reminds us here, persistent, sinful behavior will bring God's judgment. So don't worry so much about sin out in the world. Let's be concerned about sin in here. Paul tells us in Romans eleven twenty two. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. You don't have a complete picture of God until you see both his love and his wrath. Moving on to Colossians 3 and verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul expanded his list of typical earthly behaviors, again listing things for which we were all guilty before we were redeemed in Christ, before we died with him and were raised to new life with him. In that death, our old sinful selves died. We took on a new self, 
We have a new self. We are being renewed to look like our creator, our recreator, the Lord Jesus. One marvelous outworking of this is unity in the body of Christ. The old distinctions. Paul lists those that were typical in his day. The old distinctions mean nothing in the body of Christ. We cannot continue to place divisions between those of us who of white European descent and the Aboriginal peoples or between owners of large businesses and hourly employees or even between male and female because we are all redeemed from similar sinfulness by the same means, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. Here is the ultimate university unity in diversity. No two of us are alike, however much we may act like we are the same. We're all different, with different roles, different giftings, but we are all the same in the ultimate way that matters our need of a savior. Colossians 3 and verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Once we've taken off and discarded the old evil characteristics of our pre-Christ life, we can now put on the new. But wait a minute. What is this about being God's chosen ones, holy and beloved? How and why are we chosen and how can paul describe us as holy now the doctrine of the election has caused a lot of heated discussion in the church around the world and for centuries the simple fact is that when each of us chose to respond to the invitation of jesus to be redeemed to allow his sacrifice on the cross to be applied to our lives we were put on track to honor him with all our lives. It's our responsibility and our joy to share with others what we have discovered. We were not chosen for privilege, but for service. Holy is how God now sees us because of Jesus. Because the blood that Jesus shed has been applied to our account. We are no longer seen as sinful, but as righteous, as holy. And we are deeply beloved of the Father for Jesus' sake. And since we are, in fact, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, we can now be clothed with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is the marvelous exchange that has been transacted for us. Our filthy rags for his compassion, 
his kindness, his humility, his meekness, and his patience. But it is given to us to practice these qualities. First within this fellowship, then at home and at work, and in all the rest of our life. It is here that we most safely learn how to bear with one another, how to forgive each other. Here, in the fellowship of the Church of Jesus Christ, this is the safe place to learn. As new believers, and not infrequently as supposedly mature Christians, we can exercise these characteristics of the Lord Jesus, knowing that our blunders will be forgiven. And that's the reason why love is so critical. Without the love of Jesus as the motive and the model, the rest will crumble into a heap of dust. But when I know that I am loved in spite of my blunders, I can rest assured of your forgiveness. Colossians 3 verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This final paragraph is loaded with meaning. For example, the peace of Christ is related to both the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and to the peace of reconciliation that is our inheritance in Christ Jesus. Specifically, Paul is here referring to the peace of reconciliation that binds us together as one body in Christ. This peace is to rule. It's to be the arbiter in all our relationships with our sisters and brothers. And then there is the word of Christ, whether it's the word about him or the word from him. The word is to be what binds us together as a body. It's quite appropriate then that the name that we have been given is Bible Fellowship Assembly. The word, the Bible, is the principle that guides our fellowship, that informs all that we are and do. Then Paul gives us a more general direction for living. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. By in the name of the Lord Jesus, Paul could mean that everything that is said or done should be done as those who represent Jesus, or that everything should be done in a manner consistent with who Jesus is, or that everything should be done to bring honor to Jesus. Or maybe he means all three. But at a minimum, 
Paul is reminding us that everything that we do will either bring honor or dishonor to our Lord. I passed by it, but did you notice how often the theme of thanksgiving appears in these last three verses? For everything we are, by virtue of the mercy and the grace of God, we are to be thankful. The word of Christ is to inspire our hymns and songs of thankfulness. And we are to be grateful for the opportunity to do and to speak in the name of the Lord Jesus. The connection of gratitude to the honoring of the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ is significant. Like Israel in the the Exodus account, a lack of gratitude is evidence of a people whose hearts are cold to the Lord. Without gratitude, it is impossible to do everything or indeed anything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here's a plan of action for 2021. Let us be seeking the perspective of the Lord Jesus on all that we are and all that we do. In particular, let us be deliberate in our pursuit of holiness, our setting aside of our old selves, that we may more fully adopt the attitudes and actions of our Lord. In everything, may we appropriately represent the Lord Jesus as we sing our praises for his grace. Our life, both as individuals and as an assembly of God's people, gives us opportunity to declare the praises of him who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. To him be all the glory and the praise. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for the privilege that you have given to us. The privilege and the responsibility to represent the Lord Jesus in everything that we are, everything that we do, everything that we say. You have commissioned us as ambassadors, ambassadors for the kingdom. Lord, help us um, to be to be seen, to be faithful ambassadors, to properly represent you and the kingdom and the king. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet know you, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would help them to recognize that what you have done is for them too. And Lord, draw them close to yourself and help us to minister to them as well. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area or drop us a line 
at info at vfa.church. Until next time.